Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. We assembled here today are issuing a new decree to be heard in every city, in every foreign capital, and in every hall of power. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. Every decision on trade, on taxes, on immigration, on foreign affairs will be made to benefit American workers and American families. We must protect our borders from the ravages of other countries making our products, stealing our companies, and destroying our jobs. Protection will lead to great prosperity and strength. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. I am your voice. So to every parent, who dreams for their child, and every child who dreams for their future. I say these words to you tonight. I am with you, I will fight for you, and I will win for you. To all Americans tonight, in all of our cities, and in all of our towns, I make this promise. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. God bless you, and good night. I love you.
you are entering the Rory Sauter Show, home of America's Man of the Hour and home of America's biggest Trump supporter. Climb aboard and buckle up your seatbelt because this is a wild ride. Nothing but unfiltered talk and the hardcore truth. Mega, mega, mega. Thoughts on this? You guys have been uh, heavily paying attention to this. 
You know, uh, um, yeah. we had me on last week. Are you on, Johnny? Go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, I think it was a, a very good thing, you know, because it's just no more can we, you know, just be giving other countries guns, you know, especially when they shout death to America. I mean, it was just time just time to even get out of it. I mean, it's time, like like I said before, I'm, I'm sick of getting involved in the Middle East and getting involved with other exactly. countries. It needs to be America first, and that's what we need to focus We need to focus on, you know, the economy. We need to focus on, you know, yep. illegal immigration. You don't need to focus on what's going on in other countries. I'm sick and tired of that, and I think that this is a good move for us. We don't need to deal with uh, Iran. Iran can handle itself. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, I, yeah, you had me on. Ahead, uh, yeah, you had me on last week, and I, I said that this is this is a good decision on the Trump administration to, to get out of this deal. But you know, I really, I'm what I'm really angry about is I'm angry about the Europeans, right? Because you know. Uh, this has been this has been a long time coming, us pulling right. out of the uh, Iran Accord. But you yeah. know the Europeans, you know Angela Merkel, fucking Macron, Macron, uh, even yeah. Theresa May, even Theresa May, you know they're all yeah, she, and Indians, she's supposed you know? to be conservative, Theresa May. Well, it's okay. Except here's the issue, though. Here's the issue: is that this is yeah. the issue with the Middle East? Is that Iran is probably we should have never been in the deal in the first government. place, though. We, yeah, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, though. Iran is probably one of the more uh, – uh, the Shiaism, uh, Islam is one of the more progressive uh, forms of uh, interpretation of Islamic law. But at the same time, it's super conservative. It's, it, you know, they kill Christians there. They chant death, death to America. And uh, let's be honest, it was the Iranians who killed American troops in Iraq. It was, it was, it was Shiai-trained uh, – People that were funded by Iran, these Shiite militia that were that were basically killing American soldiers uh, in Iraq, and you know I said this last week. General Mattis remembers this, you know, and uh, he, he's going to be the toughest dude on Iran. He remembers American troops getting killed by Iranian-backed Shiite militia uh, during the Iraq War, and uh, you know, you know, Iran has basically. Uh, attempted to expand in Syria and Yemen, and uh, they're they're a regional they're a regional the regional powerhouse, you know. And we need to be really careful in how we deal with the with the government, you know. Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. And here's the thing: the way, if you recall, and, and Gianni, you know, when, when you mentioned a second ago when they're saying death to America. The minute Obama signed this deal in 2015, they were all in the streets chanting, death to America, death to America, burning the American flag. And basically, this was sort of enabling um, their, you know, what they, what they ultimate, ultimately want to do, is, which is control the world with nuclear weapons. I mean, this is like enabling, you know, their sort of, their mindsets, and we all know their, you know, their mindsets, the, especially these, these radicals, not all, there's, there's good people in Iran, and we know this, but the radicals there, I mean, it, it's the most dangerous, it's, it's, it's literally one of the scariest mindsets you can think of. This is horror movie, sh- you know, stuff, like to the max. Yeah, you know, you know, the big threat to Iran, though, is its domestic population, is they have a super young population, that wants reform, yeah. and who knows that the current administration will even last. 
or now we can't even call it right. administration, the current regime, you know, it's not like they're elected officials, you know. Right. And uh, I totally agree with you, man. You know, and the, the biggest threat to our main ally in the region, which is Israel, yeah. you know, and uh, they won't even recognize Israel as a state. <laughs> I mean, they don't even right. – we have to take a step back. We have to realize that. They don't even recognize Israeli, Israeli people as citizens. They don't recognize Israel as a state. You know, I just think uh, – I mean, yeah, their framework, we need to be really uh, – Concerned about their their regional aspirations and their framework of uh, of the region. Yeah, and and we look at we look at you know what Trump has done with you know fighting fighting terrorism and he's done a hell of a job. He's you know a statistic came out and this is a real statistic and they did a tr- a real poll on this. Ninety eight percent of ISIS, I repeat, ninety eight percent of ISIS is wiped out. Um, over in you know the Middle East, in terms of you know they're they're completely uh, the U.S. has pretty much covered the ground. I mean they're still out there, and obviously we know certain you know I, there's so many different terrorist organizations, but um, you know our military is doing a hell of a job of fighting all the comp- you know everything that that Iran you know and Iran's now threatening us saying. You guys getting out of this is going to cause massive consequences. You know what? You 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 know what these these I, I tell I just I can't stand these Muslims because they they make these threats and they really want to threaten President Trump. I mean they they don't they North Korea the fat the little short fat kid in North Korea already learned his lesson when he tried to cross Trump. Does this Iran leader need to learn the hard way as well? I mean it you know it sure. It's sure looking like, because we all know President Trump is not going to back down. And, uh, you know, if, uh, if, a, if a war is going to come of this, Iran will be wiped out very quickly because they can't compete with our military or our missiles at this point, our nuclear weapons. I mean, they do have some powerful nuclear weapons, don't get me wrong, but they don't have nearly uh, the extent uh, 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 of missile capabilities that we do at this point. Go ahead, though. Yeah, you know, uh, military, in, in regards to our military, we, we dominate Iran. Yeah. I think my fear uh, regarding Iran is um, their role in Yemen, their role in Syria, and, uh, yeah, just their, in the role in Iraq. You know, if you look at the Iraqi-backed government, is it, it's backed by Iran. You know, yeah. it's one of the consequences about our involvement in Iraq is we installed a Shiite government who yeah. has leanings towards Iran, you know. It's kind of a blowback of our policy. They, you know, I'm, I'm actually for the Assad, the Assad government. I know I'm an outlier on this show in regards to that. But they've backed Assad in, uh, in Syria. And they're, uh, they're backing the Houthi campaign in Yemen, which, you know. Well, here's the yeah, yeah, here, Here's the thing where you're right with the with, in the you're right in the sense with Assad that and Trump warned Obama about this years ago. Do not invade Syria, you know. Do not disrupt the Assad regime. It's going to cause nothing but chaos. And look what's happening. It's exactly what's happening. 
No, that's exactly my point is though, is that, you know, I'm not the biggest, I, you know, Assad's morality is very low. I, I'm not going to doubt that, but I just think the alternative, you know, we have to, we have to look at these places as real politics. You know, you know, you have to look at these places at how, what's actually going to happen once you intervene. And I just don't right. think our intervention in Syria would get us a more progressive, a more, uh, you know, a more democratic government. It wouldn't, it probably put in someone like Mohammed Morsi, the Muslim Brotherhood, and, uh, you know, we've already tried this before in Iraq, taken, you know, but just going back yeah. to the Iran deal, you know, I, uh, here's another promise that he's kept, you know, and this is, this was not a popular yeah. decision. You know, there's a lot of politicians telling him you can't go back on a deal by your predecessor. And he just told him to right. fuck off. And that's a very, you know. Whether you, you love or hate the man, you've got to say he's kind of sticks to his guns, you know, and he's really, you know, he went against the political establishment by getting out of this, uh, this accord. And it was a campaign promise, and that's actually, uh, for lack of a better word, it's really admirable that he, you know, he's, he's stuck to, his, he's stuck to his, uh, his original promise. 100%, absolutely. And uh, Gianni, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still there. Okay, making sure you're still there. Okay, I wanna um I wanna get Johnny your comments real quick. You have any thoughts? I'm gonna play a quick from Trump earlier today, just a quick clip. Um but uh you have any comments real quick, Gianni? Oh uh, yeah, just you know, like I said earlier, you know, I think it was a good thing, you know. I think it was a very, very good thing. Oh, absolutely. You know Yeah, I I agree. I agree. Um, I wanna I wanna get Trump's quick um, you know words from earlier. Um, it's like a minute clip, uh, two five right here. The Iran deal is defective at its core. If we do nothing, we know exactly what will happen. In just a short period of time, the world's leading state sponsor of terror will be on the cusp of acquiring the world's most dangerous weapon. Therefore, I am announcing today that the United States will withdraw from the Iran nuclear deal. In a few moments, I will sign a presidential memorandum to begin reinstating U.S. nuclear sanctions on the Iranian regime. We will be instituting the highest level of economic sanction. Any nation that helps Iran in its quest for nuclear weapons could also be strongly sanctioned by the United States. America will not be held hostage to nuclear blackmail. We will not allow American cities to be threatened with destruction, and we will not allow a regime that chants death to America to gain access to the most deadly weapons on Earth. Today's action sends a critical message. The United States no longer makes empty threats. When I make promises, I keep them. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Especially the last part. When I make promises, I keep I love that last part. Um, what he, um, he really though, you know, 
he 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 said that you know we this is how I look at the Iran deal and you know what actually real quick there's a there's a 40 second clip of Trump responding today um actually no I'll get to that in a second but real quick I look I look at this Iran deal as we gain nothing uh you know this was this was a terrible deal to begin with the worst in history Trump, you know, claimed. I mean, it's one of the worst deals he's ever seen. We get nothing in return. We gave them billions with a B of dollars. And, you know, it, it was, you know, we all know that, like I said earlier, the Obama administration, certain people in that admin, including Obama himself, himself profited off this deal. Otherwise, there would have been no reason to make the deal in the first place. The, you know, they're... All of these world leaders that are are trying to come to Trump and trying to convince him to stay in this deal, they're all controlled. They're all controlled by evil, 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 you know, donors, special interest groups, lobby. We we know this. I mean, this isn't, you know, uh, this is common. This is common politics that people like Macron, people like Angela Merkel, those are evil people. They are, they are controlled. They are you know, in bed with the wrong crowd in terms of, you know, the, the association of, um, you know, d- just d- doing the right, doing the right thing and, and doing the right deal. Right. Um, um, your thoughts. Well, you know, it's like Francois Macron, you know, Emmanuel Macron, you know, here's the yeah. thing though, is, you know, opening up Iran, you, you have a hundred million people that live there. It's a huge market. Right. We didn't, we didn't get any of the deals. Bombardier got the fucking plane deal, you know, yeah. or if it wasn't Bombardier, it was a French airline company. Boeing didn't even get the deal to make their airplanes. We received nothing from opening up that, you know, the Europeans already had their deals made out with the government over, you know, manufacturing, and we were completely excluded. And, you know, I'm really sick of the Europeans. They want our military support against yeah. Russia. And at the same time, they want to make a deal with a, an adversary of ours that wants to fucking wipe us off the earth. You know, I just, their policy, yeah. the European foreign policy is insane. Here's where, here's where it gets really dirty, though, in the sense that all of these different countries have different, you know, deals with countries that are enemies. You know what I mean? Like... And, it, and then, and then it becomes this whole conflict, and every, and then, you know, other countries start backing other countries, and then it, you know, because Russia was even saying to the U.S., you better not back out of this Iran nuclear. Like, they, there's just so there's so much corruption. You know what I mean? Uh, completely, completely. And it, it's like there's so much in it for these personal world leaders. Like, there's so much in it for themselves, not so much for the people at all. It's it's for themselves. Like it's it's greed at its finest. Um, and you know, sadly, we have viewerships and audience that you know thinks Macron's a you know a, a great leader and thinks Merkel's a, an ama- an amazing person. And they you know I mean it's uh, they're oblivious to reality. The people that think that. Because, oh, can I add uh, one more point? Can I add one more point? Yeah. Well, you know, here's the thing, though, is giving the Iranians all this money, the whole goal is you're going to open up the economy, you're going to liberalize it, and hopefully that would force the administration to reform. Or the opposite could happen. 
you know, where right. you you give the administration all this money and they actually just get stronger. I mean, the regime, you know. So this this plan could really backfire. We could basically strengthen one of the most dangerous governments in the world. Yeah. Yeah, I and and you know, in in the, in the radical Islam, you know, just the dangers of their ideology and what they really believe, and they want to bring that and spring that on on all of us. And it's it, it's a da- it's a dangerous this is a dangerous thing, like with, with the with the whole I mean the Muslim the the, the it's it's a dangerous regime the Iranian regime I mean it, it's very dangerous with with what they're you know. And let's be honest, there's a civil war within the Islamic community right now between yeah. Saudi Arabia and Iran, Wahhabi Salafism and Shiism. And by giving Iran nuclear weapons, what you're going to do then is force these Sunni governments of Jordan, of Saudi Arabia, uh, to Qatar. You know that that might you know these governments are now going to want weapons of their own, and soon in 15 years you're going to have a Middle East uh, filled with governments with nuclear weapons, and this is already of a hotbed yep. of conflict. You know, and Hello. we need to we we need to be really careful before we, you know, set a precedent with a a, a Middle Eastern government with nuclear weapons. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent, James. I want yeah. uh, to welcome my guest to the show, Joel Block, on the line. Hey, how you doing, man? Joel, uh, head hey, fund for... manager, fi- financial expert, venture capitalist, entrepreneur, best-selling author and founder of Bullseye Capital. Thank you for coming on, man. Hey, well, thanks for uh, making a few minutes. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're glad to have you. Um, I, James, I, I wanted you to finish your point uh, real quick. I'm sorry to cut you off. I just uh, – Joel was calling in. You know, I finished my point. I think Gianni wanted to say something before uh, you want to ask Gianni. Yeah, yeah I was going to like, you know how much I'm about- – Time and money is going over there trying to give them all this stuff in the Middle East that could be helping Americans, and that's one of that's one of the reasons why I'm glad Trump got out of this because it's just it's enough wasting money, wasting time, you know, like going to war and things of that nature to help other other people. Like we need to focus on America. That's my whole thing. That's why you know one hundred percent. I completely agree with you, John. Completely. Yeah, yeah. Like when it comes to uh, middle. Policy and all this. I'm like, dude, let's not get involved with that. Like, let's just stick to America. All the money, all the time can be getting bringing jobs back to America, like Trump is doing. And that's why I'm glad he got out because that's what he's his his whole plan was always make America great again, not make the world great again. It was America first, not Iran in in the middle and Iran first. Right. Let's help them. Let's help them. It's not that, nothing about that. You know, I know hard feelings with other nations, but they need to fix their own stuff, just like Mexico and immigration. Don't send all your drug dealers and all your crime, criminal people to us. You need to bring jobs there so they can start working and crime can uh, get lower. You need to make Mexico great again, make South America great again, make Central America great again. That's what you need to do for your people, but we have to focus on our people. Well said, Johnny. Well said, um, Joel, Joel, 
really, really good to have you on, Joel. Um, Thanks, I, uh, I want you to, uh, you know, tell everybody about your background, everything you're working on. You know, give us your story, man. And, I mean, we have a lot, definitely have a lot of questions for you. We'll want to talk about, you know, the tariffs. We want to talk about, you know, aluminum. We'll want to talk about different, you know, uh, various economic uh, uh, current events going on in the uh, political realm right now. We want to get – I want to hear a lot about your story too as well, man, just – You've lived a, well, you know, cool. a hell of a life, it sounds like, you know, the big resume. Yeah. Well, listen, thanks. It's uh, it's sort of like, uh, you know, being in a boxing ring. There's, there's a certain amount of chaos. You know, once once the bell rings, man, it's, it's nothing but chaos. <laughs> right. I like but I, that. I, I like spent, that. Uh, I, I spent the first couple of years of my career, I started at Price Waterhouse, a CPA firm, and I'm um, a CPA by my training. And I left there and uh, went into real estate syndication and started doing uh, deals and uh, and then fell into venture capital and sold a, you know, built a company which I sold to a Fortune 500 and eventually uh, started buying and selling other companies. So I've, I've done a lot of different kinds of things. And uh, in the last, uh, you know, half a dozen years, I built a real estate fund and we we own assets all over the country. So that's it. That's uh, that's my story. I mean, I've done a lot of things. I've I've done a lot of deals and I've seen a lot of things. I've met a lot of interesting people and. You know, uh, I, I've sort of done what what we're all out there trying to do. And you, you point? know, you you've done a lot in terms of you know you you do motivational speaking as well, and you've written a many yeah, books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I've, I've uh, I have written a couple, but uh, the the one I'm uh, the one that's recently out, stop hustling gigs and start building a business. It's really. Uh, my observations from the venture capital business and what I was doing for the last many years. And I just would write down things as I saw them. And uh, as I, as I kind of identified little tricks that I would do or little negotiating strategies I would do, I would note them down. And, you know, and I, I noticed that, you know, at dinner time with our kids that as the kids got a little older and the oldest one was in, in high school, you know, they would ask questions and I would kind of give them answers. And the, this book kind of, was like the way that I would answer the questions. So they're simple, but they're complex. If you just studied one of these, uh, you know, every week or every month, your business would blow up for the for the good. So, you know, it's uh, it's an awesome book. It's a very different kind of book than most people have ever read because it's really just a collection of, of, of a, a, I'm in the money business, and it's a money business insider's take on how the world really works on the inside. Very nice, man. Very nice. So it it, it gives you, you know, a whole bunch of of insight and you know, kind of um, it's life lessons. I mean, every every day, um, you know, kind of kind of you know, you know, gives it lays it out for you. Yeah. Well, listen, and it's and it's more than just lessons. I mean, it's really uh, these are things that are designed for you to improve your business and bring more dollars to the bottom line and be more sensitive to the things that. People who are in the money business understand. Guys in the money business, they, they look at the world different than other people. They understand things differently than other people. And you right. know, one of the things that very that a lot of people don't understand is that money is a business. They they just think mm-hmm. it's some green stuff in their pocket, but no, it's it's a business. And there are people who charge for the use of money. Uh, they collect money. They they move money around, and it's a whole business. And it's actually one of the most complicated businesses in the country. So uh, surprisingly. Yeah. It just seems so simple because it's in your pocket and you walk around. It's no big deal. But when you start peeling it back, it's there's something to it. Yeah, and you know, 
Absolutely, absolutely, one hundred percent. And um, you know, I, I, I'm sure my a couple of my co-hosts probably have a couple of questions for you, Gianni, James. You have a, I, I, I know I do, um, I know I do. a lot. Uh, Well, I, I mean, I have questions uh, regarding the tariffs right now. If you want to get into that, or should we wait? Well, um, uh, listen, no, no time like the present, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah we'll just get... what you thought about. Oh, yeah, go ahead. go ahead. Or... Go ahead, James. Okay, so, you know, I'm when I was at university, I was studying economics, and I was really inspired by Ron Paul and free market capitalism. But uh-huh. then, you know, I moved to Canada, and I kind of saw what protectionism – like, it doesn't matter if the United States – maintain free market policies if China and Canada and Mexico have protectionist policies. So I was just wondering what your views are on, uh, you know, Trump's tariffs on uh, aluminum. I understand that it's going to raise the prices and stuff, but I mean, do you think it's going to give our, our companies a fair shot? Do you think it's a good idea? Do you think it's a misguided approach or well, what, what are your views on the what, what you learn in college about economics is pure economics. I mean, that's, um, you know, it's it's textbook. It's it's not what really happens in the real world. What really happens, even though there there are countries that are protectionist, uh, we can still produce policies that protect and assist our people. When you know, when China has a currency manipulation strategy, uh, we can respond with policies that level the playing field against that situation. And you know, when China's dumping. Uh, excess materials at a low price in the United States to sandbag a market. See, we're not talking about a company here. We're not talking about a small player. We're talking about an entire country that supplies about 50% of all the material in the whole world. So we're not talking about an immaterial amount of stuff. We're talking about somebody that can shake, uh, you know, move mountains here. So uh, when they do that, it really causes tremendous fluctuation and we have to respond, and we have to respond in a positive way. Now, you'll notice how upset the Europeans have become that we are uh, putting these tariffs, right? The Europeans are all upset, right? You notice that, right? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Well, you know why they're upset? They're not upset because we put on these tariffs. They're upset because the dumping that we're going to stop is probably now going to move to Europe. So, you know, people are not, you know, you know here, here's the thing is that, you know, we all walk around thinking that everybody's all altruistic and nice and they're, they're all rooting for the other guy and they're all doing all the best things. The truth is, unfortunately, that's not how it works. Everybody's looking out for their self-interest, for their own country. And, you know, when the Europeans get mad that we're uh, putting these tariffs because they're now worried that, that the China problem is going to become their problem because we have now solved the problem. We've addressed it. So to me, that says a lot about us having done the right thing. Okay, I have, a, I have a question because you talked about China's currency manipulation, right? So do you yep. think that the U.S. having the standard dollar for the global currency, uh, is that, does that actually hinder us or is that an advantage? Because, well, you know, you can't – yeah. The, the dollar is the global currency. I mean, I mean, everything is pegged to the dollar. And so yeah. uh, there has to be some stability to the dollar. Uh, whether it's backed by gold doesn't matter, but there needs to be stability so that we all understand what we're doing here. And countries have the ability to move things around in ways that are uh, very difficult for other people to see. And that's what China's done, is they've moved things around in a way that we can't keep track of them. And for those reasons, uh, we've had to respond in ways that are uh, protected, that protect, we have to protect ourselves. 
We have to protect our manufacturers. And I'll tell you another thing is I, I think that there's a tremendous security issue with certain kinds of commodities. Uh, we can't be at the beck and call of, of, of China, for example, for our steel. Every one of our buildings in this country is built by steel. Uh, you know, everybody, uh, all of our tanks, all of our weapons. I mean, we use iron, coal, steel. We use these very boring, non-sexy commodities every single day. And if we stop producing those things and we ever find ourselves in a, in a real conflict with China, really a real, real serious conflict, we could really find ourselves uh, in a really disadvantageous situation that we don't want to be in. If they ever turned off the spigot and they said, you know what, we're not selling the United States for a while, we're going to see uh, how you like it, we could really find ourselves in just a tremendous problem. I mean, dumping is one problem, but you want to see the opposite problem or if they turned off the spigot and they just said no more uh, product, products going to the United States, we would, uh, you know, we'd start seeing price escalation like you've never heard of it. And, and then everything would go out of control. So they, they, the president is doing the right thing by taking steps to protect us uh, and then the other thing, and then there's fallout. You've got to remember, the guy's a professional negotiator. I mean, he's good at this. We may not uh, like him, uh, you know, everything that he does, but but he's very, very good at this. And what he did is he's brought Canada to the table, Mexico to the table. He wants to renegotiate NAFTA. He's, he's just he's bringing everybody out of, their, uh, out of hiding by his actions. Yeah, and, and here, here's the thing is, you know, I I love what Trump's doing. You know, James, did you want to, James, you wanted to respond? Did you want to? No, my, okay, my, yeah, one more. I just, you know, what, okay, so what is, what are the, what's your vision of the U.S. economy? Like, what are, what are, what are like two policies you would implement tomorrow to get American workers a fair chance? Well, I'll have to sleep on that one. That's, uh, okay. you know, I was just wondering what policies you were aiming for to, you know, that would actually you know, that stop dumping or, you know, get manufacturing back here. You know, my, my, uh, my concern for American workers is less about economics because, you know, that, that, that moves, uh, that moves a little, that moves us a little, you know, what would move us a lot. You know, what really needs to happen is that we need, we really need an attitude adjustment in this country about work, about, you know, what we're supposed to do, what the role of the government is. We really need to rethink, a lot of these kinds of things. To me, uh, you know, this country was built by pioneers, by people who took risks. They were brave people. They conquered the, the Wild West. I mean, look at what they what they did. And now, uh, now look at uh, you know we're we're afraid of our shadows in a lot of cases. So, you know, we are living in, in times of incredible disruption, like 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 we've never seen before, where the world is moving so fast and technology is changing things so fast. And workers need to have a really good attitude about getting retrained, about doing what it takes at work. And employers and employees need to relearn uh, that they're all on the same side of the table, that they're all fighting the same battle every day. Uh, we need to stop thinking short-term and think a little bit more long-term. I mean, these are all significant things that need to happen. Uh, economic issues aside, and we can talk about economics uh, you know, as we keep going, but these attitude adjustments are mandatory if we're going to be successful going forward as a country. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I totally agree with you. It's like a spiritual renaissance you're talking about, you know. Um, yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, and at, 
and he, and that's well well said. And I um, you know, Joel, it, I you know, with with what Trump's doing, you know, with holding China accountable, because for the longest time, we've seen our past leaders. You know, I mean, China has taken advantage, you know, of our you know. Uh, economic system and our trade deals for far too long. And now we have, you know, Trump, you know, wanting fair and balanced and reciprocal trade deals and, you know, America first policies, which is, which is amazing. And now we have all these people that are very all concerned about a trade war happening. And I, I, I don't see that happening one bit. I, I, I even see China uh, budging and, and, you know, uh, you know, respecting Mr. Trump's request of, you know, wanting fair and balanced and wanting to, you know, have good relations with the U.S. on that level and, and maintain, you know, that balance instead of, you know, because, you know, instead of being ripped off like we have been for years. And like Mr. Trump has said, President Trump has said many times, that's not China's fault that we've been ripped off. It's our past leaders because China's yep. leaders are more were more cunning and more smarter and knew knew how to negotiate better than our past leaders. And hey, you know, hey, look, that, you know, they just, they did they they did what they were paid to do, which is to uh, advocate for their country. They did exactly yeah. what they were supposed to do. Our people did not exactly do what we were supposed to do, and that's the problem on our side. So you're right; it's not uh, China didn't do anything wrong. But let's talk about that trade war for a second. Do you, do you know what the deficit is right now, give or take? You know, we're, uh, what, a $21 trillion? 20, Is that pretty 20 close? Trillion. It's about 21, 20, 21 trillion. Yeah, it's about that. Okay. Who, who owns most of that money? Who owns most of that uh, debt? China. China from, by far. Exactly. Exactly, of course. Do you think there's going to be a trade war anytime soon? Do you think that they have a vested no. interest in us going down the drain? Are you kidding me? No. We're their biggest customer. They need, they need We're their us biggest more. Customer. They need us. They need us. They need us. <laughs> They need us more than we need them. They exactly. they can they can they can do pomp and circumstance. They can yell and scream. They can they can do whatever they want to do. But at the end of the day, and they have to they have to yell and scream because they don't want to look uh, you know wimpy. But if they don't, uh, at the end of the day, they have to come to the table. And the president, the the guy is he's a professional negotiator, man. He knows he knows what the he knows what the score is. Arguably the best business negotiator ever. I mean, he, I mean, many well, have called him that. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, he's, know, look, he's good. He knows what he, he knows what he's doing, you know. And and so, for uh, you know, for us, for us to think that there's going to be some kind of a giant fallout, uh, hard to imagine that China would uh, you know negotiate because that would be contrary to their self-interest. Yeah, and you know, you see, and you see how they will not. They will not cross. You know, it, it's it's with the same sort of, you know, I, I kind of compare this to the, the Mexico scenario in the sense, you know, Mexico says they're not paying for the wall. Oh, yes, they will. They will through trade deals and through some sort of economic, um, you know, some, some way, shape, or form. Because let's face it, Mexico needs us. They, they survive off of us. And, you know, they uh, – Yes, it's it's one of those things yeah. where, you know, people laugh at Trump for saying Mexico is going to pay for the wall, but Mexico is going to pay for the wall because you look at the deficit with Mexico, it's $78 billion would it be. The wall is only going to cost $9 billion. Uh, I think, you know, Mexico is going to pay for the wall. 
<laughs> you know, I'll tell you, you know, it, it's yeah. Go ahead. You know, I, you know, you, I was listening to Trump speak maybe about a month ago, and you were yeah. talking about uh, notions of a trade war. Well, you know, we're already in a trade war, and Trump said this: we've already been it. We've been in a trade war for forty years. For many we've been years. Here asking, for many years. You know what I mean? Yeah. So this whole notion that we're that Trump is starting a trade war is a joke. I mean, Trump is exactly. Trump is helping us out in the trade war that's been going on for 40, 50 years. You know, I mean, yeah, when I hear people well, I don't, robbing us, I, I don't, trade war. Go ahead. I don't even know how they can call it a. What, what, is, what does it mean that we're in a trade war? What, is, what does that mean? I mean, well, I mean, it seems whole, to me like we have pretty healthy stuffs going back and forth. We're moving stuff. Uh, you know, we're buying from them. They're buying from us. Everybody's getting paid. I mean, I don't understand what the trade war concept is even about. If that's uh, if we're in one for fifty years. Well, the whole notion that our manufacturing base has been decreasing, or the amount of products, or the amount of products, or the amount of uh, people employed. Because I know manufacturing has gone up, but so is automation. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that you know a lot of these a lot of these jobs have you know made in America 30, 40 years ago are now made in India, made in China, and so I guess I, I guess my 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 hope for Trump is to bring back. Manufacturing jobs uh, for people in numbers. Here, here's the thing that that that's not, in, in my view, that's not realistic. It's not going to happen. We're not going to bring back a bunch of old-fashioned jobs just to give people jobs. That's not how economics works. What we need to do, as a, as an economic superpower, as an idea superpower, as a as a world leader is we need to take the great technology that our very brilliant people bring to the table and we need to apply it and we need to you know we need to create new brand new kinds of companies that have never existed before and that's how we're going to employ our workers but that goes back to the attitude thing i was talking about is that workers mm. need to go get better skills workers need to have an attitude of wanting to work and be part of the part of the real engine like we had uh, you know right after world war 2 where everybody was excited about the country i mean so we, we have such political we have such political strife in the country that nobody wants to get behind uh, the president, even if he did a good job. If he solved world hunger, they would still complain. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, but do you think it's possible to get uh, people without a university degree equipped for a post-IT age? So, like, how do you? What do you do with this excess well, first, supply first of, all, of labor? You know, like. Yeah, you know that's. Uh, listen, we have very smart people, and they have to figure that out. But not every job comes out of a university. I mean, there are lots and lots of things that people right. can do who don't go to university. We have people that need to build buildings. Uh, we have people that need to, uh, you know, supply all kinds of services. Not everything requires a university degree. And yeah. I, I would say, thirty or forty years ago, everybody uh, thought that you should have a degree. But you know, maybe that's not the case anymore. Maybe. Maybe $200,000 isn't a worthwhile investment in a lot of people. And, and that's something that we need to really look at as a society. So a, a lot of the issues are economic. Some of the issues are political. But all of the issues are human. And we have to look at all these issues in a very real way. And we're just not doing a great job of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and it's, you know, it's, you're absolutely right, Joel, in this, you know, and James, you know, we, you know, when people say, you know, starting a trade war, I mean, you know, we've been in a trade war for all these years, and when does it end? You know, we have to draw a firm line, and we finally have a president with giant brass balls 
that, uh, you know, wants to make nothing but lucrative opportunities for our country, and we're restoring everything that was broken for such a long time. And all of this, all these trade deficits blamed on bad leadership on, of our, on our country. I mean, this is because if we had good leaders in the past, that weren't out, you know, benefiting their own pockets and, you know, doing all these terrible deals, you know, look at all the, look at the mess Trump has to clean up. You know, look at, I mean, yeah. look at, it's, it's all, and it's all built up over time with, you know, the last, like you said, the last 30, 40 years, because we've seen so many, such, so many bad economic uh, deals. I mean, it, it, it's terrible. Some of the past deals, NAFTA, you know, is one of them that is one of the worst deals ever made. Um, you know, we see all these de- the Iran nuke deal is a terrible deal that you gladly Trump ended today. I mean, we see all these deals that these politicians do, and they say to their sheep, to their their voters, it's, it's such a good deal. But usually, it's these these politicians only filling their own pockets. Yeah, well, that's um, yeah. You know, listen. Uh, unfortunately, a government service has really changed over the last hundred years, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah, and what and what they're able to get away with. I mean, we, we we've seen, you know, especially with the Obama administration. I mean, you you see all the restrictions he put on businesses, especially small businesses. If you were if you were a small business in the Obama era, especially when two thousand eight two thousand nine, you know, when he first came in, you know he you know I'm sure you know this story very well. He bailed out all the big banks. Told all the other, you know, told all the other business owners to take a hike. Small business owners, that big mess. Um, but you, you just you look at you look at what the middle class had to deal with, and you know, it it was it was as bad as the Great Depression under the Obama administration, economic wise. Yeah, there were. Uh, you know, listen, uh, I can understand uh, you know both sides, but but I will tell you this. Uh, Small business is the is the is the heartbeat of America. Uh, yes. you know it employs a lot of people, and yes. the the you know, the innovation, the ideas, a, a lot of the uh, generation of 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 new employees comes from the private sector, which is small companies. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I deal with that. You know, I listen. I speak to audiences all the time, all over the country, and actually even outside the country. And you know, they yeah. always. In fact, I just got a call from a, a very large multinational company uh, just yesterday, and they were asking, yeah. you know, how do we be a little more entrepreneurial? They want to be more entrepreneurial, and yeah. you know, and I said, listen, you probably cannot be more entrepreneurial, but what you can do is become more sensitive to, uh, you know, the entrepreneurial world, because here's the thing that big companies do very well, and they need to understand: little companies innovate, big companies operate. And, and so little companies create things, big companies buy little companies, and then they run them. And they run them better than little companies can. And that's just a fact of life. They have better resources. They have more organization. They can institutionalize policies better. They, they, they just are in the business of operating things and management. That's their thing in administration. Whereas little companies operate from the seat of their pants, and they take risk, and they do some crazy things. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it does not work out, and they're okay with that. That's the way that it works. And so uh, when little companies succeed, they get paid handsomely, and, and that's the way our society works, and, and big companies are okay with that. So big companies can't really become innovative in a certain way. They can't really 
do what little companies do, but they can be sensitive to what little companies do, uh, do so that when they buy them, they can succeed and, and integrate them successfully. Yeah, okay, I and find this a fascinating point go ahead, because in universities today, they're teaching entrepreneurship. So according to you, that's just a bullshit degree. You can't teach no, entrepreneurship. No, 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 no. Okay. I didn't, I okay. didn't say that. I didn't say that. What I said sorry, was yeah. that, these, that you can't take a giant company and make it entrepreneurial because the people so you, have been uh, – Can you provide a degree in entrepreneurship? you think you could teach someone how to be an entrepreneur? <laughs> Well, I, I think there's a certain uh, there's a, there's a certain self motivation about taking the risk, but yeah, there's there of course you can teach them how to read financial statements, how to set up marketing plans, how to how to manage inventory, how to you know how to run computers, and and what you need to do in a big company is different than what you need to do in a small company. So yes, they can teach certain fundamental skills. What they can't teach is the attitude of innovation. That's something that, that they can't take. They can't teach uh, risk-taking. So there are things that they can't do. But, yeah, absolutely they can do it. And I've, I've instructed in, uh, in some of these uh, programs. And they're very, very good programs. And the kids that come out of them, uh, if they have a risk-taking personality and they're armed with good tools that they learn in school, uh, it's going to help them a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. That's an interesting point. Gianni, did you have anything? Um, I've been enjoying learning about it because I've never been really deep into uh, this particular uh, subject, but I really um, have been learning a lot about it because I've been wondering, you know, especially with the whole trade, you know, I keep hearing that, you know, Trump's decision with the, you know, Iran nuclear deal is going to hurt it and everything like that. And I just wanted a little bit more information, you know, on, the truth of the matter of what's going to happen. Like, will it right, rise prices or, you know, especially with... Can interrupt, can interrupt real quick. I just want to mention something on that real quick. I got good news about that today. Uh, oil prices started declining today after Trump made the Iran nuke deal announcement and all the liberal media, mainstream media, was in panic mode saying oil prices were going to spike, which was complete gibberish. But, but go ahead, Joel. No, I, I was I was just listening to you guys. You know, I mean, uh, so what oh, they Johnny say is the reason the prices question. are going. I'm sorry, I, I I didn't hear the whole question. Then go ahead. Oh no, I was just saying. You know, they said that it was going to hurt trade. You know, and things in that nature. And I just wanted a little bit more information. Like I know that wouldn't be true, but I just want to know how to well, respond. To my ask, ask, yeah. Well, I mean, look, first of all, we're not talking about every single commodity and every single type of product that we make. We're talking about, you know, one type of commodity, steel, aluminum, you know, a couple things. And, you know, it is, it is possible and maybe even likely that prices will go up a little bit. But when prices go up, you know, if they go up a lot, that could be inflationary. It's not going to be uh, overly too much because it's, it's – it's, you know, steel is not such a giant component. It's not so expensive that even tacking on a percentage like 30% doesn't make that much difference. The other thing is maybe it's going to stimulate a little bit of business here in the United States. Maybe we won't notice uh, it too much at all because they're going to buy more of this product from the United States. Maybe it'll increase demand here. Uh, you know, we're not talking about bringing back an old, uh, an old line industry, but we're talking about stabilizing an industry that needs to be stable. We need this industry in the United States uh, to be operative, to be healthy, 
so that in case there's an emergency, uh, the people who run those companies are standing by to, to do a good job and do what they're supposed to do. All right. I agree. I couldn't agree more as well. Yeah. I totally agree with that point. And yeah, absolutely. And and I wanted to, um, you know, I wanted to get Joel, I kind of wanted to get, you know, your background in terms of, you know, you, what you're doing today with bullseye capital, your company, um, you know, just, just describe that a little bit for the audience, you know, what you guys do and what you're, you know, you specialize in. And, you know, obviously, if, if I'm not mistaken, that's your, your current company, correct? Yeah, it, it is. And so uh, there's, there's really a couple different things. One is um, we run a hedge fund. So investors give us their money, then we go buy assets with those. And we own assets all over the country. Uh, the second thing is that twice a year I run a conference and, and I take guys that are fixing flippers or that are buying real estate and they're doing whatever, and they're cobbling together hard money, private money, however they're getting their money. And I teach them how Wall Street raises capital. And, and I show them really you know, how to get access to much more money than they're getting now and how to do it the Wall Street way and that it's more profitable for them. So twice a year there's a private conference for that purpose. Uh, you know, a guy's got to qualify, and it's not open to the public. It's a, it's a special deal. But if somebody thinks that they, uh, you know, they've done a lot of deals and they're qualified and they really are kind of at the place where they really have their real estate under control, uh, they're certainly welcome to reach out to me, and we can talk about that. Oh, yeah, very nice. And then, yeah, and then, and then the last thing is that uh, corporations and different kinds of associations and business groups invite me to come and address them and, you know, explain economic concepts or explain financial concepts or uh, just share with them ideas about leadership and innovation and really uh, disruption. I mean, all kinds of issues. And, you know, really it's all about, um, you know, I'm all about profit. And, and, and because because I've been in the money business as an insider, it's all about profit from the inside. You know, really insights uh, to give people the inside track. That's what I'm about. I, lo- I love it. I love it. Um Absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, and it's it, it really um, you know you've you've had a a very successful business life. You have a, a hell of a resume, um, you know. And I, I love all your insight. I want to I want to ask you a couple big things. A couple big things that are going on. There was a big article out today. The U.S. budget just made history. Uh, and as of April, it, it was the best the best month ever. In April, the federal government took in a, a record sum of $515 billion, with a B, in taxes, according to a newly released Congressional Budget Office report. During that time, uh, we spent $297 billion, and we actually took in more than we spent, a lot more. That $218 billion surplus is, in fact, a new record. It's beating the previous re- record set back in 2001, which was $190 billion. Uh, which, which by $28 billion. Wait, let me read that again wow. real quick, that last part. That $218 billion surplus is, in fact, a new record, beating the previous record set back in 2001, which at the time was – so it beat, it beat it by $28 billion, but at that time uh, the surplus was $190 billion. Okay, so it's $218 billion surplus today. That's pretty amazing, huh? Yeah, I mean, you know, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, this is I mean, a time we're living in. Well, you know, yeah, I'll tell you what. Um, I, I can't imagine that one month 
really matters. I'd like to, I'd like to see three or six or twelve months strung together and see what happens. If we could have a couple yeah. really good months and put them together, you know, you could have an aberration uh, over one or two right. months, but over over three, six or twelve, you know, it all it all evens out. And so, I mean, we could right. have one month where we were upside down two hundred billion, and now now we're back to neutral. So. Uh, you know, listen. I can I can see the media grabbing these numbers and making a really big deal about it. How how great everybody's doing. But the truth is, that, you know, things go up and things go down. I don't know why the government took in more money this uh, this time than before. I don't know why they spent less than before, uh, because most most of the expenses that we have are pretty much uh, flat. You know, they they just go out evenly all the time. You know, every month they're going out all the time. So I don't know what caused that to happen, but I would imagine that it's more of an aberration than it is a pattern. And if over a period of time it becomes a pattern, that would be something to celebrate. Oh, now, I have now, a question, James. Yeah, go ahead, James. Okay, so you said that you, you run a hedge fund, right, which is the goal is yeah. you, you buy assets, you have investors. So do you think one of the biggest issues in our country right now is that our entrepreneurs, our innovators don't have access to capital? Is that like the issue? Well, that's it. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a giant issue, and it's it's just it's one of the things that concerns me the most. Yeah. and that's the reason <clears throat> that's the reason that we run our syndication hedge fund symposium. It's because you know we started this program in 2009 because we noticed that entrepreneurs were not getting access to capital. Banks wouldn't loan money to them. But it's not only that; it's that consumers, lots of consumers who are all investors, by the way, they have money sitting in the bank at, at a quarter percent, so they're unhappy. Yeah. The, the entrepreneurs are unhappy, and and so, uh, you know, there's got to be a way to put those two unhappy groups of people together so they can be happy, and and so there's a little matchmaking, and that's really the way that Wall Street organizes money is that they they create mechanisms where uh, people can invest in things that they want, and the government in 2012 relaxed a lot of the rules that prohibited uh, individual investors from getting involved in in different kinds of deals. So they can get involved in things more uh, than they could before. So all of these things are just outstanding things, and uh, I can't say that it's perfect and it's working out just perfectly, but certainly better than it was before. Very okay, nice. uh, so you're saying the 2012 deregulation that that should help us out with innovation because it it will allow it was not more um, it was not to get it was not dereg it was not deregulation. It was uh, they they changed the securities laws that okay. allowed entrepreneurs to advertise for uh, for investors so they could get fresh capital. So instead of being beholden to banks and institutions, uh, they could go online and advertise for investors and say, "Hey, uh, I've got a deal. If you want to invest in my deal, call me." So the internet and social media made it possible for uh, people who want to start new businesses to go out and find investors. So if there's a guy in New York that likes a deal that a guy in San Francisco is working on, they can now start working together. In the past, you could never advertise. You could never go look for people. It was a very restrictive situation that came right out of the 1930s. All right. So, so how much stagnant you know, they, money is out there, and how, how big of an issue lots. is it? Is there just a lot of stagnant money? Trillions. Oh, okay. Trillions. 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 Yeah. And what we're talking about is people that have money in savings accounts that are earning a quarter percent that are dissatisfied with their rates of return. I mean, they're very dissatisfied. Interesting. And, and um, jo- Joel, I, you know, I want to, I want to I ask you, so, so the ask, so, you know, what, what you guys, 
is it mostly real estate you guys purchase? Uh, you know, is, yeah, we we do. You know, yeah, most... yes. Okay. Do you guys deal it's real with estate driven now? No, I I spent a lot of years in technology, but uh, what I'm doing now is all real estate. Very nice. And is it is it mainly commercial? Uh, mostly residential, multifamily houses and and uh, so forth, land. Okay, okay. Do you do do you ever uh, do you do stuff with like sports facilities, stuff like that? Uh, I have been involved in that sort of thing. I'm not doing that currently, but I have been. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Um, yeah. And you, and you, you know, you've, um, with your, with, with the book, with the book you wrote, um, you have, you have a new book coming out as well. Are not you writing, are you going to be writing a new book as well? Well, there's a, I'm working on a new one called profit from the inside. And it really kind of just takes a deep, deep look at how money gets made. And, you know, really from the perspective of a, of a money business insider, because, I'll tell you what, if people understood how the money business worked, they would, uh, number one, uh, they would be surprised, but number two, uh, they probably would end up doing better. And I'll tell you another thing, um, and this is something that everybody knows intuitively, but they don't really understand, and that is that right. when it comes to money, everything's rigged. Everything is rigged when it comes to money. And, right. it, it, you know, no matter, no matter which way you turn, it, it's just the truth. So let's take, for example, Las Vegas. You know, you know when you put your money on the craft table, or you know when you spin the roulette wheel that the, the house has got an edge. They've got a, they've got a certain advantage. Uh, it's rigged. The game is rigged in their favor, right? I mean, you just know there's there's, but you know, but it doesn't bother you because it's Las Vegas. In fact, we don't even call it a rig. We call it the house advantage. Uh, it's normal. That's what that's what it is. But when that yeah. happens to you at the bank, or when that happens to you with an insurance company, or that happens to you at an airline, or that happens to you uh, anywhere else in your life. It's very upsetting because you don't know that it's happening, and if you find out that it is, uh, you know it's it's very disturbing. And so, uh, part of what I'm exposing in this book are a series of rigs that, uh, you know, that all kinds of companies use to, uh, you know, to enrich themselves. And it's not a it's not a tell-all. It's not a you know it's not one of these kind of deals. But people need to know how the world works. I mean, if we want to be educated, sophisticated people. And we, then we need to be big boys and girls, and we need to take a hard look at how things work. And we need to learn how the world works and, and, and be okay with it. Oh, yeah, 100%, absolutely. Um, so well said, yeah. And uh, it's, you know, so, so the book will basically, you know, kind of give some secrets away and kind of, you know, show some of the, the corruption and the, the shadiness that goes on behind closed doors and the uh, – in uh, certain business uh, environments? Well, you know, I, I wouldn't call it corruption or shadiness uh, because there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, it, it's right. uh, it's legal. I mean, all the stuff that happens is legal, uh, you know. Right. I mean, but, right. but, we don't, you know, we just don't know about it. And, and, we do, and you know, if people knew, uh, you can't outrig the rig if you don't understand the rig. <laughs> so people need to understand the rig. They just need to know what it is. Right. Right, absolutely. And, you know, th th there are, you know, there's so many different loopholes and different, you know, um, things that, you know, these these business owners and these foundations and these nonprofits get away with uh, that is absolutely absurd, if you know what I mean. I mean, you know, they, they, well, take, they take in – go ahead. Yeah, well, it must it must be within the law. 
you know, because they're subject to uh, to the law. And so all they're doing is yeah. they're working the rules, you know. What it really right, comes right. down to is business rules. No, I, Every I know, business. I know it's legal. I, I know it's legal. I know what they do is legal 100%. I just kind of want you to kind of, you know, from what you know from that industry with the nonprofits and, and, and the foundations and, you know, the loopholes they take and, and some of the side roads and, you know, easy way out they take. Because we know a lot of times they only donate 1%. And they keep ninety nine percent of the profit, but um, you, I'm sure you know a little bit about that, you know, area, right? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, listen, I'm not. Um, my my experience is not that uh, you know companies uh, that they take uh, you know anything like what you're describing. I, I you know, listen, sometimes there there are certain very high profile organizations whose expense ratios are much higher than we would like them to be. But, you know, you've got to remember, these companies are required to document all their expenses in, in federal reports, tax returns, audits, and other things. And they have to come clean all the time on this. So they may, they may push the limits. I mean, they know uh, that within certain, you know, that um, if, if they take in a million dollars and they spend uh, 200000 20% is kind of a high number, but you know, for a small company, that's not too bad. But if you're, you know, a giant one, you're taking in a hundred million dollars, and you've got a big overhead. You know, people don't like that. But but here's the thing: is it's all about supply and demand, and and we've got media that pays attention. So we kind of have a, a a check and balance system built in here. If if companies, if these nonprofits are doing things that are egregious, and I'm not talking about you know like one bad guy, but you know like as a as a group, if they're doing a lot of stuff. You know, they file their tax returns. There are media journalists that are paying attention to this or reading these uh, reports. Uh, they would go on camera in five seconds, and they would they would rat them out. So I'm not, I'm not aware that anybody's being, ex- uh, you know, constantly, uh, you know, abusive of this. It's, you know, they maybe they could do better, and I think there are some of them that could do better. Uh, and if people, maybe they don't get a lot of coverage, but I don't think they cross the line into uh, really doing terrible stuff. I mean, you know, in terms of, you know, certain, uh, certain, like the Clinton Foundation, I mean, there's certain foundations, you know, that take, I mean, I'm talking, you know, in terms that take, you know, just just certain, certain, there's certain gray areas and red flag, if you you know what I, if you know what I mean, there's certain, yeah, you know, yeah, listen, that, that, that's a, that's a different story. I, I, you know, you weren't, you weren't specific. That that is a little bit of a different story because they they use that uh, they manipulated uh, they they traded favors and to get people to make donations. Yeah. I mean I mean it's well known that uh, they they kind of you know bent the rules uh, quite a bit and and they were kind of above prosecution and but you know any any other any normal organization could never get away with that. I mean some of the very reputable good ones in the country. I mean they're not doing that kind yeah. of stuff. I mean they're they're not dealing internationally. They're not. Uh, you know they're not they don't wield any any political power in the same way it's it's just a totally different thing so i would i would say that you know 99 out of 100 of them are excellent uh they there's probably room for improvement no doubt about it but you know you, you know you brought up one that is uh particularly egregious and, and that one is the problem and you know that uh that whole thing partially cost Hillary Clinton the election that was a contributing factor to her losing the election so she was penalized for uh, for her egregious behavior Hey, yeah, I have a and, question. And, um, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so you say you're a CPA, right? Uh, so you, you know, you, you've done. You, uh, I was my question is like, uh, 
how you know you're also you've worked within the industry, so you know how business works uh, in, in real time, not like, uh, like the model of it. You know, you actually know like a real its real function. How, when you look at a balance sheet, how accurate how accurate is that uh, as a representation of the company? Would you say the data on the the finance on the on the financial sheets are pretty accurate, or would you well, say that they're? I mean, I mean, for, yeah. Well, if, if if it's if it's if they're good numbers, it's very accurate. I mean, if they're, uh, you know, I mean, you have to know what you're looking at. I mean, you know, listen to me. The balance sheet is the most important uh, financial statement there is. Most people don't know how to read a balance sheet, so they look at the income statement. The income statement yeah. is is important, but but the balance sheet is really where the action is. And and since most people really don't understand it that well, uh, you know, it kind of gets glossed over. But it tells you a lot. It tells you uh, how much assets the company has. It tells you how much the company owes in responsibilities and how much so is I left over. So I work for an company. And, uh, you know, I, I saw you counting my first two years. I worked for an overseas company. Do you have, do you have, any, do you have any hesitancy, uh, restraint on investing overseas because of their balance sheets? How, how, like, how much trust do you put in in a – Overseas company's balance sheet. If you want well, to invest it overseas, it, it depends what country. Different countries have uh, different levels of oversight. You know, China, for example. Uh, you know, the there as you get deep inside, you understand that the way that they audit, the way that they oversee, the way that they uh, handle things is very different than how we do it. And you have to understand that we don't invest uh, internationally, but that it's for a different reason. And, and it's, number one, because we have to thoroughly understand the locality where we're operating, and we don't understand it. We, we don't go there, and so I would, I would be hesitant to go to a foreign country. The other thing is it concerns me that there are certain foreign countries that, you know, could, uh, you know, take assets away, that we don't have the same protections as we have in the United States. And so there, are, there could be issues at some point. So, there, you know, we don't do that overseas, but it's not because of balance sheets and accounting issues, although I do understand your question. And sometimes uh, there are certain countries that produce better uh, financial reports than others because uh, there are the accounting bodies, uh, you know, line up. I mean, there's, here's, here's the other thing is, um, this is an interesting thing, and it's a little off topic, but Warren Buffett's company, Berkshire Hathaway, Announced first yep. loss in, in a long, long time for a billion dollars. Why? Because they ch- they changed the accounting rules and they made him do some different accounting. So he didn't make or lose. He just kept operating his business the way he did before. But a change in the accounting policy caused his company to show a loss that that would have otherwise been a gain. And and that that's a very important understanding is that uh, the accounting rules are very significant. And so. Different countries have different rules. They have different implementation of those rules. They have different oversight of those rules. They have different bodies that enforce those rules. And so you really have to understand it's not just being able to read a balance sheet, but you have to know, well, gee, what's different about this balance sheet than the balance sheet if it was in the United States? And you really mm-hmm. have to understand it because, you know, nothing changed at Berkshire Hathaway except for the rules, and that caused the game to go to a loss. So, you know, and that's that's a really serious thing. And, Oh, he cut out. Or am I cutting out? You're cutting out. You're cutting out. Can you hear me? Yeah, no, I can hear you. Are you better now? You were cutting out for a second. Okay. So the issue is not that the balance sheet is bad. It's that the investors need to understand the rules under which the balance sheet was put together so that they can, uh, you know, make an informed decision about it. 
Okay, yeah, okay. So my, I guess my second question is: Are do you, do you advocate value investing? Like, do you buy things under undervalued? Is that your is that your method? That's um that's entirely the way that we do it in real estate. You know, yeah. stocks are stocks are different, and and here's what's different is in real estate we have a lot of control over adding value to something. If we buy a building and it's uh, it's all messed up, and then we fix the windows, fix the toilets, fix the uh, the walls, paint, carpet, whatever. We've added value, and then we can sell it for more. We know exactly. We can we can really see in advance what we're going to do. I have a hard time with stocks because there is nothing I do, no matter how much I scream and yell, no matter how much I jump up and down, the stocks in the market are not going up or down because of me. So I prefer to work in areas where I have some direct control over and you know over the over the impact of how we do. Right. That okay. totally makes sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> and smart investing. And Joel, Joel, so <laughs> in terms of your real estate assets, um, how many states does your company own uh, real estate properties in and how many exactly in the United States? Well, all of it, all of it's in the United States and it's probably about 10 different states. Okay. Very cool. Very nice. Uh, do you, um, are you East Coast and West Coast in terms of where you own properties? Mostly, mostly Midwest. Mostly, uh, there's some Southeast, but mostly Midwest. Okay, very cool, very nice. And uh, what what kind of um, you know what's uh, you know in terms of a median uh, for like you know buildings with square footage? I mean, what uh, what do you guys stick around? You know, what what's uh, what's like your you know. Biggest property. It's mostly your small. It's it's most it's mostly small multifamily and uh, residential properties. That's the majority of our portfolio. Okay, very nice, very nice, and um, and it's uh, you know the Midwest. You know you can buy, you know a lot of property, get a lot for your penny, if if I'm not mistaken, correct. Yeah, you know, I mean, listen, there there was uh, there was a time you could buy things for five thousand dollars, fifteen, twenty five. You know, not so much anymore. I mean, you know, even in Phoenix, you could buy stuff for fifteen, twenty. That stuff's all all back up to uh, seventy five, eighty, a hundred thousand. I mean, it's it's not it's not what it was a couple of years ago. So a lot of that real distress is gone. Yeah, and and yeah. and you know, listen, and you get what you pay for when you buy a house for five thousand dollars. You're not exactly getting a Bel Air, you know. Right. Exactly. Um, and, and these, you know, the, these sort of, um, the, these, um, these properties, are they, do you, how long do you own them for usually before you sell them? Well, what's like your average, uh, you know, time frame? Well, I mean, look, we, we owned a property, uh, we did, which we sold this week for, uh, for, we owned it for 10 days. So, you wow. know, I mean, if we can make That's some money in nice. 10 days, you know, then yeah. You know, I mean, listen, so if we turn over as fast as we can, uh, if we're doing a rehab, it can take three months, six months, sometimes up to a year. Uh, but we try to turn the properties over pretty fast. Very nice, man. Very nice. And what I, what I really want to ask you, you know, you spent a lot of time on Wall Street, you said, and you know a lot of people that were, you know, heavily involved with Wall Street. And, you know, you know, you know a lot of, you know, the, the characteristics and what goes on and, you know, just you know, some of the things you've experienced on, you know, with the Wall Street industry, um, you know, what what can you tell us, you know, you know, in terms of what needs to be fixed? You know, I mean, obviously, there's a lot that needs to be fixed. 
there's a lot of flaws on Wall Street. Uh, but, you know, the major things you've noticed because you've, you know, you've been around the block, you, you've, uh, you know, you've spoken at a lot of different, you know, engagements and, and different events, uh, especially about, you know, making money and, and building businesses and, and stuff with Wall Street and hedge fund. Hedge fund. Um, but just your insight on that whole uh, scenario. Well, you know, listen, uh, first of all, the people on Wall Street are just people. They're just people. Yes. And, and they're highly incentivized to do certain things, and they do the certain things that they're incentivized to do. And, yes. and that results in a lot of money. You know, what I would say is that, uh, in general, you know, I'm a, I'm a salesman. I mean, I, I sell things to people. You know, I mean, I, uh, I, I sell ideas. I raise money. I, I sell concepts. And, and a lot of yeah. people uh, sell. They sell more than they realize. And the thing to be most successful in sales is you've got to draw a line to the money. In other words, if you yeah. do this, this is how much money you're going to make or this is how much better off you're going to be. And, you know, and, and hopefully whatever they're, uh, you know, whatever you're getting, they're getting 5, 10, 20, 50 times as much. I mean, hopefully, otherwise they're not going to buy. So the guys on Wall Street, you know, the closer you get to the money, the more money you make. The further away you are from the money, the less money you make. And so in our right. society, and this is, this is, again, it goes back to this human values thing. Um, and, and I'm not the one that made the rules. It's just the way that this is. The people who are the closest to the money make the most. The people that are furthest make the least. So who's the furthest in our society away from the money? I would say it's a school teacher. And school teachers don't make a lot. They, they don't make enough. They, they really don't. They, get, you know, they have the most important job maybe in the entire society, and they don't get uh, treated all that great. So, uh, you know, they're the custodians and the guardians of our children, and, and they teach them how to read and write, think, and do all the important things that they need to do as adults. And, you know, so I, I would say a lot of what happens on Wall Street is not, uh, is not the guy's fault. They're doing what they're told to do. They're incentivized to do things a certain way. They do them, and, uh, you know, and, and that's it. So I think that, again, as a society, we need to take a hard look at some of the things that matter, and we need to, you know, really reevaluate a couple things and, and go from there. Absolutely. 100%. So well said. Um, James Gianni? Uh, yeah, I was I was going to say, you know, especially when, when it comes to the minority community, I know you're in, like, real estate and business. How, you know, other than, you know, what Trump is doing, you know, with the black unemployment go down, how do you – in the minority community start help people start businesses and bring that, you know, black wall street uh, dream back. And how do you get, you know, as far as real estate as going to minority communities and, um, you know, buying property and thinking and restoring the community to uh, a very middle-class, you know, healthy class um, level, you know, than how it is now, because I feel like what's going on is, yeah, you know, black, employment is going down that's definitely true but how do you change it on a bigger scale to where you know free market and you know business can be booming also in the minority community you know so you don't have to go all the way downtown you know like in new york you know a lot of people if that's from the bronx you know have to go to manhattan in order to work and in order to you know have something good how do you go to the bronx you know to restore that business uh, like idea and that business atmosphere, so nobody has to travel to to one particular place in order to 
have uh, success? Yeah, that's you know that that's a great question. Uh, it's probably uh, a little bit longer answer than we have time for, and I'm just you know I'm just one citizen with an opinion. But I, I will tell you this: um, you know, twice a year I run this program to teach guys how to raise capital and and be more effective. And I get a disproportionate number of calls from minority guys, a lot of black guys. They'll call me up, hey Joel, listen, I'm a, I'm a house flipper. I, I do one, two houses. I'm a contractor. I build things, whatever. And, and I, I really, I can't get a great job. Maybe it's because they're black, maybe because of whatever reason. I don't know what the reason is. And they say, look, do you think you could teach me how to raise capital so that I can do more deals and take better care of my family? And the answer is, holy crap, you better believe it. You're, that's exactly the kind of person that I want to help. And I would venture to say that 99 out of 100 Americans would want to help that kind of person who says they want to help themselves. So step one is that we have to want to help ourselves. Every person who wants to get out of whatever trouble they're in has to wake up in the morning and say, I need to help myself. The second thing, and this is uh, very interesting, a very successful, very wealthy black man. I was uh, somebody I'm doing business with. Uh, I was on the phone with him recently. It's a, it's a, you know, he runs a big company. It's, a, of course, a black-owned company. And because they're a black-owned company, they get certain benefits. So they're designated as a black-owned company. And what was shocking mm-hmm. to him, and he, talked, he and I were talking about this recently, they get certain benefits because, you know, like you're saying that, hey, listen, maybe uh, we need to kind of help people get a leg up and do a little better. But the irony is, as a black-owned company, yes, he does get some benefits, but he also gets tremendous bad things happen to him as well. Here it is. Uh, he was telling, and this, this was very surprising to me, and it was surprising to him when he, when he experienced this. He gets uh, capital, let's say, from a pension fund. Let's say that some big fund will say, we're going we're gonna to put $100 million or $200 million in your, in your invest in your deal and, you know, whatever. But they'll only put $100 million in. They won't put a billion. Like, like another kind of company, they'll put a billion. Why? Because their charter says they have to put, uh, you know, 15% of their money into minority activities. If they love the thing, they cannot put more than 15%. They're limited to 15%. So in a very funny way, the sword swings both ways, that he got certain benefits because he was a minority company, and now he's getting penalized because he's a minority company. So, you know, it, it's, it's an awkward kind of a balance um, that, that some companies uh, deal with. But I will tell you that the engine in the United States, the economic engine of entrepreneurship, is the one great equalizer, and that is a colorblind system. If you have a problem and, you, and somebody else can solve the problem that you have, what they look like, where they come from, what language they speak, who their friends are, whatever, anything about them, doesn't matter because if that person, if somebody can make your problem go away, you're going to do business with that person. And the only color that matters in business is green. That's the only color. And, and I hope that we can all get to a place where that's how we see it. Uh, there's just, there's, uh, I think that we put way too much emphasis on, on color. And, you know, listen, it's not a problem that I have, so I, I can't be uh, as sensitive as, as you might be about this situation. But I really think that if we're going to all get along, we, we need to stop talking about it as much as we do. Thank you so much. That was actually uh, very informative, you know. 
Well, I mean, I mean, listen. I mean, as 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 a person of color yourself, I mean, is that a, is is what I'm saying? Does that sound like a reasonable approach? Does it sound like like I'm not being nice and I'm hurtful? I'm not being sensitive? I mean, you know, what do you think? Oh no, I I actually well no, I actually agree. You know that 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 was my thing. You know, like I'm tired of you know us you know complaining and you know wanting food stamps, wanting welfare when actually it's not helping none of us. You know, I was just saying, you know. That that is true. You know, we need to learn how to help ourselves and just think of ourselves as Americans and not just Black Americans. Because, like you said, yeah. when you focus on it so much and that issue, it really doesn't help you uh, in the long run. And uh, I think that's a real good approach to it. But I never really thought about that. You know, just stop talking talking about it so much because it's just how do you? And, and that was my thing. Is how do you get this real estate thing into people's brains? It's like you talk real estate, you know, to a person that in a black community, you know, on welfare. I don't want to, because I actually had a guy, I actually had a guy that I was speaking to about it, and I was like, hey, let's collab, you know, collab our money together, let's try to get something, you know, especially in the Bronx. And he was like, man, I ain't got time for that, man. I don't want to waste, I don't want to waste time for that. I'm like, you know, and I'm just like, these are the mindset. And it's like, how do well, you, okay. Yeah, well, you, well we can't we can't uh, we can't do anything about that. I mean, that's that's just not you know we can't fix that uh, situation. But if somebody wants to be successful, then they just have to stand up and do it. You know, I mean, this country, there's room for everyone. There's room for everyone. It, it real. Hey, Joel, I want to ask you. Do you think that the there's a big issue with um. I mean, you know, to the extent of, you know, with, with you know, you see these big-time billionaire CEOs, like especially Apple, uh, Tim Cook, you know, Jeff Bezos at Amazon, they're all for hiring all these illegal workers and having them come, to, come into our country. Because obviously we know that they want this low labor. Uh, you know, they want to pay low labor. They don't want to pay you know, uh, Amer- all, all American workers. Do you think that's a big problem? I mean, it is a big problem. Don't you agree? It's an, e- it's an epidemic, I, you know, especially listen, with these billionaires. Don't you agree? I, I, you know, listen, we have laws in the country. If you, if you, it's, you have to drive 65 miles an hour. If you drive 75, you get a ticket. If it's 85, you go to jail or, you know, whatever the rules are. I don't understand. I mean, I don't get it. I mean, we have rules. Why aren't these people following the rules? Yeah. Right. And you have all you have all these you know I call them elites like these all these billionaire elites that are you know get trying to vouch and trying to you know give all this money to you know George Soros groups and stuff like that to bring all these illegals in for low so they don't have to pay American workers so they can give these illegals low cost you know it's it's low cost it's it, 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 do you see I mean you being in the business world all you know for as many years as you have. Um, which, you know, 30, 40 years, a long time, uh, you know, you've seen this as a, as a strong epidemic, haven't you? Well, I, you know, what, what, I, what I've seen is that there's, there's a lot of compliance. I mean, there's a lot of rules. You know, you have to uh, fill out paperwork. And I just don't understand how these, uh, how these people get away with it. I mean, I would, I would be afraid to, uh, to break the rules. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe these people, uh, I don't know, they, maybe they see it differently. But to me, uh, you know, the rules are pretty clear. You're supposed to uh, do certain things, and that's that's it. I mean, whatever the rules are, you have to do them. 
So I, yeah. I don't like every rule, but but the rules are what the rules are, you know. Yeah, and 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 I really I really want to talk to you. This is a really big thing I, I want to mention, and I know everybody's going to want to hear about this. Trump's big tax plan, his big tax reform plan. You know, you you owning a huge, you know, bullseye capital, venture capitalist group. I mean, I'm sure that took a huge relief off of what you're doing, especially in real estate, as it did with many, many of us, many people involved in real estate and many people involved with, you know, that own various businesses. Um, you know, did you, do you yourself see a lot of, uh, on your side, have you seen the, the difference? Well, you know, what, what you have is that um, it's causing dollars to come back to the United States. We're repatriating yeah. dollars because the tax rates have gone down and they're, and they're quite fair. And so, you know, that's, that's a really good thing. My concern, um, you know, is that we do a good job of managing expenses. I mean, you can't have a tax reduction and continuing to expend a lot of money on, on, uh, on expenses. So if right. we don't do a good job, then we're going to find ourselves in some problems. And that's the thing that concerns me the most. Right. Right. I told you, it's like, you know, you can get the tax break, but unless you go after the entitlement, then we're, we're screwed. So <laughs> the, long run, the expenditures, the expenditures are going to, are going to, you know, it doesn't matter if you do the tax break, if you're, if you're spending through the roof, right? Well, I, I hope that they can. I hope they can get some control of it. I, I, I think that that would make a big difference for sure. It, it's just, it, it's been a big relief. You know, we see, we see all these companies coming back to our country and and even building here for the first time. And you know that that tax reform was a big incentive and it was a big relief. And you know, I see a lot of. Uh, American workers and American businesses, you know, putting that to use. And, uh, you know, I think it made all the difference in the world. Um, but you know what? Uh, obviously, we, we, you know, there's more time. Uh, time will tell. But, uh, you know, the results so far uh, speak for themselves. I mean, we're seeing, uh, you know, great, announce- great announcements on a daily basis, on a daily basis with various uh, businesses that are uh, investing in the economy. Well, I mean, listen, that's um, that's where we're at. So, hopefully, we'll um, we'll see some good value from the tax uh, thing. I mean, companies are predicting that they're going to make more money, which means that they're going to, you know, they'll still they'll pay good tax. They'll circulate more dollars. More dollars go into pension funds, and more dollars, because you know, an awful lot of the money is uh, owned by pension funds. So it ends up recycling back to people. And and hopefully, though, we can we can start to reduce the amount of dependencies. Uh, that we have on the government that we can reduce our uh, our obligations because if we can't do that we're going to find ourselves in in some trouble. Yeah, and and what what's your you know what's your thoughts on the you know aluminum what's your thoughts on the whole aluminum you know uh, you, you you're all for it aren't you you know with with Trump um you know uh, you mean the tariffs? Yes, the tariffs with the aluminum. Well, uh, you know, listen, like I, like I said for steel, I mean, I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's necessary for the president to level the playing field with China and with other yep. countries that produce yep. it if they're doing anything that they shouldn't be doing. And, yep. you know, and, and we're going to uh, we'll bring in the, the, the Canadians, the Mexicans to the table, and the Europeans are coming to the table. I mean, everybody's – it's caused – you know, in a certain way, Trump is uh, – he's very Sun Tzu. 
I mean, he really, you know, uses the Sun Tzu strategy, you know, when somebody's angry, irritate them. And he really does that. I mean, he really, the more mad you get, the more he pisses you off. And he, he just, he does it on purpose. Yes. You can tell he does yeah. it on purpose. And, uh, you know, and that's, uh, believe me, that that would make it very difficult to be a personal friend of his, but, you know, or to be in his world. Uh, but watching from the outside, uh, you know, I, I, I could see it uh, clear as day. Yeah, absolutely. 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 Um, and, and, you know, it's, um, it's, it's just, it's great to have a president. And, and I've, I've always said this, you know, from day one, you know, that running this country is a business. I mean, it's a CEO job. It's a, it's a, I always thought for years that president Trump should run for president. I mean, that he should. And, and I knew that, you know, this is the mentality and the toughness and the leadership and the, and the, and the strategic excellence that we needed. I mean, I mean, you look at all of these deals that are being made and everything that's going on that probably would have never happened before with all these, you know, hack politicians. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. So, you know, I'm glad we have a businessman president too. I I wish his behavior was a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, something that we could be proud of, but, but, you know, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. No, I, I hear, I hear you though, um, Joel. I um, I, w- I want to thank you for coming on. Um, you know, do you, you know, you get involved, um, you know, with various. Do you invest in various businesses as well? Uh, you know, sometimes I do. I mean, I wouldn't, uh, you know, I wouldn't promise anybody anything, but you know, we we look at a lot of stuff. Okay, cool. Very cool. Then, uh, yeah, awesome, man. And uh, you and I will be in contact because I do a lot of different stuff, uh, you know, in business. I'm a, you know, very entrepreneurial-minded. Uh, I have a lot of different projects and, uh, you know, stuff going on, good stuff that's, uh, you know, doing well. So you and I will probably uh, have some conversations in the near future. Sounds like a plan. All right, man. Well, that sounds, yeah. uh, that sounds very good. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for organizing and, this. And, and, Joel, I'd love to have you back on, um, you know, sometime soon um it's it, you've been a great guest um you know we've we've loved having you and uh you know if you have any anything you want to announce you know any uh shout outs or any uh announcements go ahead uh you know well, I have, you know, uh, you know. listen if, if people want to find out more they can go to bullseyecap.com that's bullseyecap is in capital cap.com and they yeah. can they can find information about our symposium and about our book and all, all the different things that are going on so you know, go uh, go check that out. Say hello. Be in touch. Uh, I'm easy to find on social media too, and uh, you know, I've got big networks, and I'm happy to you know connect with people uh, if it's if it's reasonable. Absolutely, and um, you know, Joel, uh, pleasure um, as always. Thank you for coming on, um, and uh, we will be in touch soon, my friend. Thank you. Sounds like a plan. Take care, man. Bye. Have a good night, man. Cheers. Joel Block, everybody. I want to thank him for coming on. Great guest. Gave a lot of great insight. Uh, Gianni, are you there? Yep. Yeah, man. What a what a he's awesome, man. He really uh, he was awesome. He really uh, shined uh, a lot of light. Gave us a lot of uh, great information. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. He did a lot of good stuff, a lot of good stuff. Right? And it was uh, very opened up my eyes about the whole, you know, asking the question about the, 
the uh, you know the black community and everything. I really was. It really made me think about you know maybe it is you know we keep you know continually always talking and we don't think of ourselves as Americans you know it's always black this black that you know so I think that was a real good uh, um, response. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to, I want to talk about something and and this is, this is, you know, something that I didn't get to yesterday. Saudi Arabia just inked, you know, just signed a deal with the Vatican to build Christian churches. Can you believe that they're putting Christian churches over in Saudi Arabia for the first time? Wow. That's crazy. I didn't even know that. And, that you know seems kind of, in a way uh, you, you it makes me wonder because you know how much hate they have for Christians over there. What happened? It may, what? No, I was just saying. Yeah, I mean, Saudi Arabia, like all you know, usually all the Middle East has a real bad uh, history and modern times when it comes to Christianity. You know, they, they'll they'll slice your head off and they'll persecute you, they'll blow up your churches, you know, so but this to happen for me to me is a real big uh real big uh, impact. And then yeah, not only speaking of that Oh no, I was gonna say not only speaking of that, you know, I don't know if it's true. Uh, I heard North Korea is supposed to be open up his doors to Christianity, right? Yeah. Yeah, that I that's what I heard as well. And Trump gave a uh, statement on North Korea today. I'm going to play this clip real quick. Uh, two seven. Secretary Pompeo is right now going to North Korea. He will be there very shortly, in a matter of virtual, probably an hour. Uh, he's got meetings set up. We have our meetings scheduled. We have our meetings set. The location is picked. The time and. Date, everything is picked, and we look forward to have a very great success. We think uh, relationships are building with North Korea. We'll see how it all works out. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. But it can be a great thing for North Korea, South Korea, Japan, and the entire world. We hope it all works out. Thank you very much. Are the Americans being free? Are the Americans being free? Are the Americans being free? We'll all soon be finding out. We will soon be finding out. It would be a great thing if they are. We'll soon be finding out. Who would have ever thought this day would have come that President Trump and the um, leader of North Korea are going to be sitting down on national television, man. Insanity. I know. That's uh, (laughs) really... I know embarrasses uh embarrasses Hillary Clinton, you know, because Hillary Clinton, oh, he's not coming to it right, he's not saying this right, and you know everybody's you know having a fucking master masturbating over it and going crazy over it. That's why I'm like, it 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 just really blows my mind that it's Donald Trump that had to bring, you know, stop the even the North and North and South Korea war. I mean, you, I mean, just think about it, honestly, Donald Trump, who would think? Donald Trump, first of all, will become president, and then when he be right. president, do things that no other politician has ever done or been able to do, or I've always talked about but never did it, and it just blows right. my mind. It's like if you take back to like let me say like five months ago, you know, it was 
Yeah. Hey, at any time, a bomb could be going over there and blow North Korea away or the, vice versa. And now it's just like, hey, let's sit at the table and talk about negotiating this stuff. And it just, you know, blows my mind. Yeah, oh, 100%. And the NRA convention where Trump spoke this past week, speaking of set an all-time record in attendance. I mean, that just, just be, I mean, Trump's doing all these amazing things. The NRA is doing more powerful than, than ever before. We have all that. We have all these things, you know, going in the right direction. Um, what's another thing I wanted to say? Um, so, something I really wanted to bring up, uh, the resignation of New York attorney general, Eric Schneiderman, the pervert, the, uh, the guy, I'm sure you heard about this, right, Gianni? Yeah. The uh, the per the attorney general of New York um, has re- has resigned, a Jewish guy, um, and uh, he uh, you know was uh, very physically abusive uh, to several women. One woman uh, called one of his girlfriends his brown slave, and said and uh, you know would hit her, choke her, uh, beat her, took her. Uh, Prescription Xanax took her, uh, would take her, uh, you know, make all these demands, threaten, so threaten like some of his or something like that. Yeah, you're my brown slave. When he, yeah, you're like, he was making all these derogatory remarks, threatening his mistresses if they would ever leave him, he would kill them. Um, like, he was just all this crazy stuff. So he resigned today, but basically, uh, Trump, four years ago, uh, tweet made a tweet saying the Eric Schneiderman uh, corruption and his dirty life will come out soon enough. And look, look, look what happens today. Eric Schneiderman, the all, the dirt comes out. So it's like Trump predicted the future from four four years ago. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, you know that's what I tell my. You know, I tell I mean how when I have these conversations where people talk about Trump's infidelities and Trump's problems and you know, I'm like yeah. here's the thing. Here's why, you know, with the porn star and all this other stuff, Stormy Daniels, you know, the bitch that uh likes to get, you know, very on T V and get on S N L and joke about her quote unquote issue. Um he was friends with these people. He was friends with Democrats and Republicans, so they know things about him. And they know things that he's done sexually, which nobody gives a fuck about. But he knows about They know about this stuff. And that's why everything like Stormy Daniels and whether he was paying on the prostitutes, all this stuff is coming out. Because this is stuff they heard about because Trump is a businessman. And he's, he's been friends with them forever. And what, I'm, what, I'm, what you're seeing now is politicians are being exposed when they talked about Trump doing this and Trump doing that. When they're doing worse, they're not having consensual sex with a porn star. They're actually like Snyderman, uh, you know, calling people brown slave and calling and telling them, beating them up and doing these things. This is what politicians in Washington do all the time. I mean, I'm telling you, like I told you, my uh, the friend that and I And why is a Jewish guy insider. calling anyone a brown slave? You would think a Jew would know what being a slave is like. His ancestors were in concentration camps. In in Hitler days, I mean, why are you calling people slaves, man? You're, a, I mean, this guy's a Jew calling somebody a slave. I mean, this guy should know what slavery entails, and then this guy, his ancestors came from it. So, 
he's talking like he's a moron, like he's basically making fun of himself too. Yeah, and that's what I'm just like, dude. So it exposes the whole, you know, Trump is racist. He's, I'm like, dude, he's actually called somebody a brown slave. It's just, if you think this is the end, I mean, I I'm, I'm just can't wait to see all the so-called politicians exposed, you know, because I guarantee you right now there's a politician having sex with a prostitute right now. You know, they, they, of course, had, a long day in Congress. they had a long day in Congress. Their wife is not there. Their wife is back home in their state. And they're like, oh, I'll just get a prostitute for the night in this hotel, sleep with them, and nobody would know because it's Washington. We cover each other. And it's, but until Trump comes in, oh, he's against our uh, he's against our agenda, so we're going to expose everything on him, even though we know right. if the light was ever shine on us, we do a lot of stuff. I guarantee you they're right now in a hotel having sex parties and orgies and stuff. I guarantee you. Yes. So, so Trump's tweet from 2013, like he could predict the future with this Schneiderman guy. Uh, so Trump's tweet, quote-unquote, from 2013. Anthony Weiner is now gone. Spitzer is gone. Next will be lightweight Attorney General Eric Schneiderman. Is he a crook? Wait and see. Worse than Spitzer or Weiner? <laughs> So Trump knew. Trump <laughs> knew something was going to come out sooner or later. <laughs> it's yep. I, I, it's hilarious, man. Trump. <laughs> it is. Trump and the Twitter, man. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I've never seen a president that tweets as much as he do, but I love it though. That's the thing. It, it's it's like it's hilarious, but it's so true. Like everything he tweets. Like he's getting his message out to the world, and he knows that it's sending the message to his supporters and the people that um, you know, support him and are on his side. But it also gets his haters going, and it gets the liberal media spinning. Yeah, because they don't understand. Trump loves. He loves. He what is it? What is, I think he said something. I don't know if it was him or something. There's no such thing as bad press. So this whole yeah, Russian exactly. thing, they don't working out for Trump. Trump. Donald Trump yeah. thrives on bad press. His whole life, he's been talked about bad. And guess what? He loves the attention. It gives him the adrenaline. It gives him the energy he needs. He loves it. Yeah. So that's why he yeah. tweets crazy stuff like, oh, you know, this guy is a slime ball. Because he knows that people are going to talk bad about him. But guess what? He loves it. He thrives on it. That's a good thing. And here's the thing about Eric Schneiderman. Like, you know, his buddy, his, you know, like his buddy Wiener, the, 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 well, you know, Ro, the uh, Rosenstein, Wiener, Schneiderman, they're all buddies. Uh, you know, Spitzer, they're, they're all, you know, they're all friends. But anyways, you know, Trump's not friends with those guys. But anyways, going back to Schneiderman, um, he uh, was part of the Me Too um, adv- advocate for women's rights and was trying to call out Harvey Weinstein and was trying to, you know, pretend he was uh, all for the, I mean, can he, can he, it's just so pathetic. And all that time he was abusing women and totally contradict his actions were contradicting what he was saying. But then again, it's a typical politician for you. Most of them are scumbags. Right. You know? Yep. I agree. It's like there's never 
there's never a, um, you know, so many of them are, you know, we've been, we've been led the wrong way and, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, miss, um, misrepresented for so many years by so many terrible fricking, uh, leaders and politicians. I mean, it's, it's disgraceful. It really is sad. And, uh, you know, some of the reports I'm reading about this Eric Schneiderman, I mean, this stuff's disturbing, man. The, the stuff he was getting away with. I mean, these women, these women have marks on them and everything. And now they opened an investigation into, wow, he resigned as of today. And let me remind you, he's in the New York Attorney General, and now they're putting an investigation into him. We'll see if it goes anywhere, of course. I don't know if it will. Um, but, um, but, yeah, so, you know, his days in politics are over at least. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's, um, you know, uh, it's, it's one of those things, though. I mean, he, he, was, uh, he was part of the whole, you know, you know, these Democrats, you know, most of them. Isn't it amazing how when they claim that they're a part of the Me Too movement and they, they claim to be a part of the feminist groups that, you know, they, they get all of this, um, this um, sympathy from from demo, like dem, like they get a pass, you, you know what I mean? Like the, the, the especially yeah. like the, these, it, it's ridiculous. It's all it's, it's like I told I tell so many people it's all bullshit, man. It's all it's just BS, man. Like you can see it yes. through their face that they're lying. It's yes. just like the television in the eighties, you know. Yes. I forgot. I forgot the the Jimmy Swagger. He's preaching against homosexuality and preaching against sex, and you shouldn't be living in sexual immorality. He gets caught with prostitutes. You got Teg ha- Teg Hager, who was a was a prominent evangelical. He's like, oh, homosexuality is a sin, and if you live by it, you will go to hell. And he'll say all this. Caught him with uh with uh, uh not only not not, pro- not not women prostitutes, male prostitutes. So you notice whatever a person talks about or against the most, that's what they're actually doing behind closed doors. So a Democrat, right. you know, try to play holiest now and say, oh, you know, we're about this, we're about that, we're so women, women. It's all political because once they get right. in, once they get that political pool, they're going to say, right. all right, screw everybody. I get it. That's what they did. Obama, he was in office like Kanye West said. He was in office for like eight years and nothing changed. Not one and he, you, quote unquote, and he was the most and he was the most corrupt president in history, and everything he did he got protected and covered up for it was ridiculous yep. I want you we have about five minutes left, but i want to talk I want you to talk about your movie you you got this new movie you're directing that uh you know talks about you know kind of re- you know it resonates with what's going on in today's society, and you know I want you to kind of t- touch on it a little bit. You just got done filming it. Yeah. Yeah. So that it's called Sacrifice. Uh, it's supposed to be screening uh, late May, uh, early August, around that time. Uh, it yep. really gives you an artistic approach to it. You know, it's not too in your face, but it is yep. very, uh, it may it very thought provoking. You know, it's like, could there be something more than just bad people? You know, people like to. Say, oh, well, maybe he just had uh, mental health issues, or maybe, you know, he just had bad parenting, or maybe he just, 
you know, they try to moralize, uh, they try to uh, um, put logic into everything. Or maybe there is real evil in the world, and that's what's yeah. going to be the story takes place with a cult, a cult, a family cult. And what it's going to be is that family cult, they have organized in the, within themselves to destroy anybody in the world and everybody that they put their hands on in the world and make sacrifices to this evil entity. And it really makes you think that maybe there is real evil in the world, and that's why these things like, you know, Parkland and uh, uh, Las Vegas and all these school shootings are very uh, relevant because it's like, wow, like these things are happening. Is it just because they didn't take their pills? And No, maybe things can be this evil. Of course, we exaggerate a lot of the, the things that go on in the movie, but it really gives you an artistic approach and a more fiction approach to maybe there is this pact where people are on earth for purpose to do evil things that are going to make us think and not give us a moral way out. Like, we still don't know why the Las Vegas shooter did what he did. You know, we could come up with theories. Maybe it's about gun control. Maybe he took medicine. Maybe he did this. Maybe he did that. You know, we don't, we'll never know. Maybe there is real evil in the world, and we just can't, just can't logically explain your way out of it. So true. I mean, yeah. I mean, you're you're putting it into, um, you know, perspective. I mean, everything that's you know relevant and and what's you know going on in today's society. Yep. And you know, t- you know, tell everybody you filmed it. You were filming in Wilmington, North Carolina, this past weekend, which is a very nice place. Yep. Filming in and, Wilmington, it was in. Uh... Oh, go ahead. You can go. You can go ahead. So you were saying you're filming in Wilmington? Yeah, I was just saying it was a very nice place. You know, filming in Wilmington. You're right. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, and. Uh, so the movie is completely well. We have a few more scenes. You have a few more scenes you need to do, but it's pretty much finalized and uh, ready. Yep. Ready for uh, editing and uh, almost ready for release, right? Yep, absolutely. We only got you know three more scenes to do, but they're very small. It's going to take like ten, fifteen minutes to do. It's not a big deal. Uh, but everything else that was very, very important, you know, to the story, you know, as far as the culting part, uh, that's all that is done. Everything that I need to get out of the way, you know, as far as like having house properties uh, for one day and things of that nature, all that is gone. So everything we're going to do now is basically vital to the story also. But, you know, it's 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 doable now. You know, we don't have to wait for dates or anything like that in that nature. You know, we're just going to... Um, film it and yeah just see where it goes and uh, I you know I hope that it really goes far you know because it's going to actually step on a lot of people's toes but at the same time you know it's uh it's going to make you think you know about maybe there is just things that are here that is evil you know and, that, and that's the whole part Wilmington was a very uh, great and historic place to film perfect well said Gianni uh we are out of time but as usual, I always love having you on with me. I'm a great co-host. Always great having you call in. Um, and uh, we will um, be back with all of you on Thursday night. 
And, um, you know, we have, we'll have a big show. We have, we have a big guest planned. Uh, I want to thank all my listeners um, for listening to the Rory Sodder Show this evening. Um, I highly appreciate it. Please visit uh, thedonaldjtrumpstore.com. Again, that's thedonaldjtrumpstore.com. It's my website. You can find amazing Trump merchandise, apparel, uh, very creative, very unique. You'll love it. And you can also visit makingchristianitygreatagain.com. That's my other site. It's a religious-oriented Trump apparel site that you'll all love. And um, I I can't wait for you guys to check it out. Um, Anyways, uh, we'll see you Thursday, everybody. God bless. Have a great night. Cheers. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.